Chapter 6, Part 5 from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Clayton Chan. I'm not a romantic person, but every once in a while, I try to do something special for my wife, Esther. And so years ago, there was one time while we were engaged where I thought I would just be really sweet and I would cook her a meal, right? And I didn't, very, I didn't cook very often for her, but so I was like, you know, this would be something that would be sweet and just showing her how special she is to me. And so I'm not a very good cook. I'm actually a terrible cook. And so I just thought, you know, I'm going to keep it simple, right? What is the most basic thing that I can make? And so I was like, I'm going to make pasta. I'm going to make pasta. And so I was slaving away, uh, making, cooking this pasta. And after I prepared it, I went to go pick her up from the bus station because she was working from the city. And when I got there, I knew that she was not in a good mood. Right? She had a hard day at work. She had this headache that she was dealing with. And the bus ride was just really long and filled with traffic. And so I thought, great, here's my way of cheering her up. But that did not happen. When we got back home, she took a bite of my cooking and she said, this is terrible. I can't eat this. Right? And when I heard those words, it just hurt me so much. I was offended. I was so angry. Then I said, fine, you don't want it? Don't eat it. And I took the pot and I threw it into the trash. Right? It was at that moment that Esther knew what she had done. Because she knew that I would never waste food. Right? I'm the type of person who will eat food past its expiration date because I hate waste. But I was so angry, I was so offended that I was willing to give up on my principles and I threw the food away. This is one of the only times that Esther and I fought before marriage. And thankfully, you know, we talked it out and worked, worked it all out. But we still talk about this incident and we laugh about it. Right, this is the reason why she doesn't allow me to cook at home. <laughs> she still can't believe that I actually threw all that food away. But that's just how offended and angry I was. When we, hurt or are in, when we are hurt or insulted, we will react and respond in drastic ways. And that's what we see in today's passage today. People who are calling themselves disciples, wanting to follow Jesus, wanting to learn from him. They walked away from Jesus because of Jesus' teaching. They found that Jesus' teaching was so offensive, so difficult, that in one moment, they're willing to follow him, and then the next, they're ready to abandon him. Jesus has been gathering this large number of disciples who want to go where he is going, but what we discover is that calling yourself a disciple is much easier than being a disciple. Today, we will be taking a look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, answering the question, how can I guard my heart so that I remain in him? And so if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to John chapter 6. And we're going to be reading from verse 60 through 71. So John chapter 6, starting with verse 60. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. 
Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went to say, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. Within one chapter, we have seen Jesus go from the height of his ministry in terms of popularity to hitting rock bottom. In the beginning of chapter 6, at the miraculous feeding, we see that there's this crowd of people who have gathered wanting to see Jesus do something amazing. And 60 verses later, they're ready to walk away from him. And what's significant about this picture is that the ones who turn their backs on Jesus aren't unbelievers or people who are on the fence about Jesus. They are the ones who call themselves disciples. These are people who identified themselves as disciples. They were people who wanted to follow and learn from Jesus. They had witnessed him performing miracles, and at one point, they're ready to proclaim him and appoint him king. So what changed? What was it that caused people to go from praising him to abandoning him? It was Jesus speaking truth. We are told that there was a teaching from Jesus that was so difficult for them to hear. It wasn't that it was hard to understand, but it was difficult for them to accept. And we know this because of Jesus' response. He heard the disciples grumbling, and he says to them, Why do you find this so offensive? Does this offend you? And to understand what was so offensive, we have to look at the previous verses. And so starting with John chapter 6, verse 53, it says, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in me. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Some of those hearing those words might have thought that Jesus was speaking about being a cannibalist. But he's not talking about cannibalism. And he makes that clear when later on he tells the disciples that the spirit gives life and the flesh is for nothing. In that statement, he clarifies that he's talking about spiritual things. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives life. And the flesh, our physical bodies, do nothing for our salvation. 
Jesus was not talking about cannibalism, but what he was alluding to was that his kingdom reign would be one of sacrifice. It is the giving of himself that we as his people have received salvation. This notion was far different from what they had hoped for or even expected. The Jews had believed that Jesus, the Messiah, would come and that he would be this military power, this conquering power, who would overthrow the existing powers. And so it was so offensive to him, to them, that he was saying, I'm going to come and be a sacrifice. This was a pivotal moment in the life of these disciples. Jesus was revealing his plan of salvation to them and asking them to put their faith in him. Jesus was challenging these disciples to take their discipleship to the next level. He didn't just want them to follow him, but he wanted to know if they would put their faith in him. He wanted to know if they were true disciples. The word disciple is defined as a learner who follows a master teacher, right? A learner who follows a master teacher. The idea of learning and following is not simply this transfer of information, but it's more relational and holistic. A disciple was one who not only learns from, but also imitates their teacher, right? So there's this idea that it's not just giving you information or, or facts. It's about being with this person, being with this teacher, learning from them, wanting their heart to be your heart. It's about being imitators of how they're living and what's important to them. This is what Jesus is asking from his disciples. He is calling us to a full participation with him. He wants us to spend time with him, learn from him, but also to be like him. And I, th and I think that's what was so offensive to those wannabe disciples that day. He was wanting them and calling them to a different life, a life no longer living for themselves, but one of imitation of Jesus. It is easy to follow Jesus when you have nothing on the line. But it is far harder when there's a cost. And the discipleship that God requires is very costly. This is why it's easier to call ourselves disciples than to actually be one. The disciples who walked away from Jesus that day called themselves disciples, but they were unwilling to be one. They were willing to follow Jesus only as far as there was no cost to them. Many of them had seen the miraculous feeding and wanted to be fed again by Jesus. Then there were those who wanted to see Jesus perform other miracles. They followed Jesus for their own reasons, hoping to gain something from him. But the moment came when they were asked to actually live for him, to give their lives to him, to take their discipleship to the next level. And they quickly walked away. And what about us? Have you ever found yourself turning your back on God? Maybe he didn't answer your prayer the way that you hoped for, and so you said, forget you, God. Or maybe you thought that your life would be easy and comfortable after you gave your life to Jesus, but your life hasn't been anything like that. And so you find yourself distancing yourself from him. Or maybe he's challenging you to do something difficult like forgive someone who has hurt you or quit your job and just trust that he'll provide. 
But instead, you say, no. It's easy for us to turn our back on God and walk away when, it's, when he stops serving our purposes because so often that's our response with other things. Right? Take, for instance, how we view the church. I think to some degree, for all of us, we, view, we think that the church exists to serve us. Right? For all of us, even for me, even as a pastor, I think for all of us, we believe that the church exists to serve us. Right? We look and go to churches thinking that we would find what we're looking for, whether it's good community, good preaching, or this powerful experience of worship. And the moment that that stops happening, we're ready to go on to the next church looking for it. That's why so many of us, we church hop. I don't know what the, the, the average ten, or tenure for somebody going to church is, but I don't think it's that long. I know for pastors, it's like four years. And this is not just with the church. I think we do this with our relationships. Oftentimes, we enter into relationships, whether they're romantic or just friendship, looking and searching for someone who can fulfill our needs. And this is why at first sight of trouble, we're ready to walk away. Many of you are ending relationships prematurely because you've made it all about yourself and what you can gain from the relationship. I think for many of us, we have commitment phobia. And it's because we want a out when things get too hard. We want things to be easy and smooth. We don't want to work for things. We like to take the path of least resistance, and that would include our relationship with Jesus. When following Jesus becomes too hard, we would rather walk away from him. We say that the gospel is good news, and indeed it is. It is good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross and took our sins away. It's good news that Jesus conquered sin and death, and he had power over, over death and sin. And yet, when we consider what God requires of us, it no longer seems to be such good news. To some of us, the good news is good until it's not. We love that we can say that Jesus is our Savior, but at times, it feels like a burden following him. The things that God calls us to can be difficult at times. Forgiving someone who's hurt you is not easy. Breaking off a relationship that, is, that does not honor God is hard when we like that person so much. Giving your wealth and resources can seem painful at times. Every day we are presented with these types of choices. To be a disciple of Jesus is not easy. There is a cost to our discipleship. But the question is, how will you respond to God's call to follow him? How will you respond to God's call to follow him? In the passage, we see there are three different responses. The first is desertion. Those who were offended by Jesus' teaching ultimately walked away from him. The second response was one of betrayal. Even though it didn't happen at this exact moment, we're told that Judas would betray Jesus. And that's what we see later on in John, in the Gospel of John. And the third response is of faithfulness. The 11 other disciples chose to follow Jesus and remain faithful when questioned whether they would leave also, Peter steps up and responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. There were three responses. Desertion, betrayal, and faithfulness. How will you respond? Will you choose to be a disciple of Jesus or will you turn away? This passage serves as a warning to all of us because we are all susceptible to rejecting and falling away from Jesus. Right? Judas was part of Jesus' inner circle. He was one of the chosen 12. He walked and talked with Jesus. He had access to Jesus. He saw Jesus perform miracle after miracle. And despite all this, he still betrayed Jesus. If he was capable of betraying Jesus, who are we to say that we will never? And that's why it's so important for us to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The Bible tells us that the heart is central to our spirituality because it is our heart that directs our motives, our thoughts, and our actions. If we want to stay faithful to Jesus and remain in him, we need to guard our hearts of the things that, of the world that pull us, pull us away from him. If we want to remain in Jesus, we need to be careful and guard our hearts because there are so many things of the world that will do everything they can to pull us away from Jesus. So how is it that we guard our hearts and remain in him? Well, the first way is by relying on the Spirit. We need to rely on the Spirit. After addressing the disciples' grumblings about being the bread of life, Jesus continues in verse 63. He says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. The Holy Spirit does more than just give us spiritual gifts. I think sometimes we could get so hung up on and enamored on spiritual gifts. We hear about and witness people speaking in tongues, healing, and even speaking prophetically. And we want that for ourselves. And we should want that for ourselves. We want the Spirit to empower us with these gifts. And, for many, and many times it's for noble reasons. But the Spirit's role within the Godhead is not just to give us gifts, but to give us life. That's what it says in this passage. The Spirit gives life. It is the Spirit that gives life by leading us and convicting us. Have you ever felt like God was speaking to you or challenging you to do something? Well, that's the Holy Spirit's guiding in your life. Or have you ever read the Bible and a passage of Scripture just spoke to you so profoundly? Once again, that's the Spirit working to give you life. Don't diminish the role that the Spirit plays in your life. Jesus says that the Spirit gives life. It is the Spirit that brings conviction to an unbeliever and causes him or her to see the truth of the gospel clearly. But it is also the Holy Spirit that enacts change in us. We have been saved through faith in the work of Jesus on the cross, but it is the Holy Spirit that helps us work out our faith. By nature, we are sinful. We're rebellious. 
No matter how hard we try, we will fall if we're left on our own. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome sin. It is the Spirit that gives us strength and perseverance to choose Jesus over sin. It is the Spirit that gives life and changes our hearts so that we turn away from the sin and turn back towards Jesus. We are spiritual beings with physical bodies. And the reality is that obeying God and living by the power of the Spirit leads to life, but rejecting God and giving into our fleshly desires brings death. That's what Jesus is getting at today. By relying on the Spirit and not our own power, we can guard our hearts so that we remain in Him. And the second way that we guard our hearts is by, move, by moving from superficial knowledge to experiential knowledge of Jesus. We move from superficial knowledge about Jesus to experiential knowledge of Jesus. When we first become Christians, it's all about believing, right? We believe in Jesus and his death and resurrection. We believe that we have been forgiven of our sins. We believe that God loves us no matter what. And this is all true, but I think many of us think that believing in Jesus is the end-all, be-all, so much so that everything else after that doesn't matter. I've heard people say that, I don't need to go to church because I believe in Jesus. Or, I don't need to do what God is asking because at the end of the day, all that matters is my belief in him. There's this disconnect between, between belief and how that belief is lived out. Believing in Jesus is not the end. It's just the start. There is this process in discipleship where we move from head knowledge to a personal knowledge about who Jesus is. Anyone can know things about Jesus, but it's only a disciple who knows Jesus intimately. And as we grow in our discipleship, we move from this initial belief to growing deeper in love with him because we know him personally. And that's what we see from the disciples who chose to remain faithful. When questioned whether the 12 will, will leave, Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter, acting as the spokesperson for the disciples, reveals that they will not leave. The disciples have come to know Jesus intimately and have confidence to proclaim that he is the Holy One who has the words of eternal life. They know that there is no other. There is no one else to go to because he is the Messiah. And the one advantage that the twelve have over all other disciples is that they spend time with him, getting to know him on a personal level. They didn't just know facts about him, their knowledge of Jesus wasn't superficial, but it was experiential. They were there to witness his power and might when he performed each one of his miracles. They were there to witness his anger and disappointment when the people made his house of prayer a place of business. They were there to see his compassion with the Samaritan women at the well. Their knowledge of Jesus wasn't based on facts about him. It was formed through their daily interactions with him. We have that same access to Jesus that the disciples had. 
Right? We may not be able to walk with Jesus, but he has made himself fully known, and it's up to us whether we want to get to know him or not. There is no excuse for not knowing Jesus because he has made himself fully known through the word. The Bible is not just words about who Jesus is, but it's through the word that we come to know him. We experience Jesus as we read the Bible. Every single word that he speaks to his disciples are words that he speaks to us as his disciples. Every action, every move that he makes is also a representation of how we should live as imitators of him. This is why it's so important to spend time reading the Bible. And fortunately for us, it's easier than ever to do. Right? We have access to it. Back in the day, we had to carry our Bibles just to be able to read it. But now it's at the tip of our fingertips. You could just take out your phone, your iPad, whatever device you have, and there's an app for it. But even as a church, we're trying to make it as easy as possible to engage with God. Now, some of you have joined and signed up for the New Testament Bible reading plan. And for those who haven't, you still can, right? This is an opportunity that we want to give to our members where you are reading the Bible on a weekly basis and you're doing it in community because others are doing it with you. Right? Every week a pastor will send out this encouraging message just reminding you also of what chapters to read. Or even on Thursdays, we have something called the Audio Bible Club. For so long, I was leading this ministry but now it's gone to Josue, Pastor Josue. But every Thursday, we come together at the church office from 11.30 to 12.30 just to listen to the Bible audibly. And the reason for that is because God intended the Bible to be read and listened to in community. And we make it as easy as possible. Just come from 11.30 to 12.30 during, for some of you, that's your lunch break. Right? And we provide food. And for those of you who can't make it to the office, there's access to it on Zoom. We are giving our members, this church, an opportunity to engage with God through the listening of his word. If we want to know Jesus intimately, we have to get serious about reading the Bible. But that's not the only way where we can meet Jesus. We also meet Jesus through prayer. We don't need to make an appointment or have Jesus put us on his schedule, we can pray any time we want. God doesn't limit us on how much time he has for us. He's always willing to listen and to talk, but I think for so many of us, we aren't experiencing a powerful prayer life because we are only going to God when we need something. It almost feels like the way that we used to approach Santa as a kid where we have a checklist of things that we would want. And we go to God the same way. God, can you take care of this for me? Can you give me this? But prayer is a conversation between us and him. God wants us to bring our requests and petitions to him, but he also wants us to listen. When was the last time you asked God, God, what is it that you want from me? Or how can I serve you in this moment? And sometimes it's not about saying anything. Even in silence, God speaks. I find that for me, my most fruitful times of prayer is when I just sit in silence, not with any agenda, but just waiting on and listening for the voice of God. It's during those times where he convicts me and shows me things that I wasn't even aware of. 
things that I, didn't, I wasn't aware of either about myself or just things that he wanted me to do. Sometimes we can hijack the conversation with God, but prayer is a two-way street, and when we spend time in prayer, we learn how to draw near to him. And it's not just prayer and reading the Bible. I feel like that's something that we always say in the church, right? You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. And these are important things. They're spiritual disciplines. But we also experience Jesus when we simply live out our, our life, our faith. When we simply live out our faith. Right? When we live by faith, choosing to obey, we come to face with Jesus. I think it's so interesting that when Jesus questions these 12, whether they're going to follow him or not, it's Peter who responds. Right, this is the same Peter that later on would deny Jesus three times. He would deny knowing Jesus when push came to shove and people were actually, when he had to risk his life. But this is also the same Peter who walks on water. How many of us can say that we've walked on water? When Jesus was on that lake and he saw his disciples in the boat, he says, come. And Peter responds. And for a few moments, Peter actually walks on water. He came face to face with Jesus on that lake. And even in his doubt as he's falling and he's sinking, who rescues him? Jesus. Can you imagine having that kind of experience with Jesus? If we want to guard our hearts and remain in him, we need to move from a superficial knowledge about Jesus to an experiential knowledge of Jesus. And that can only happen when we're spending time with him. If you want to be a faithful disciple, you need to rely on the Spirit. You need to spend time with God. And the third is you need to surround yourself with truth tellers. The third way that you guard your heart is to surround yourself with truth tellers. After Peter's passionate reply that he and the other disciples will not leave him, Jesus responds, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. I can only imagine what the disciples were thinking in that moment. It's clear to us who he's speaking about. It even tells us that it's Judas who would betray him later. But for the 12, they had no idea who Jesus was speaking about. I imagine each one of them thinking to themselves, is it me? Am I the devil? Is there something that I've done to warrant being called a devil? And I believe that this is on purpose. Jesus is so smart and clever in the way that he says, in what he says and how he says it. Jesus could have just called out Judas by name in that moment and said, you are the one who's going to betray me. But he doesn't. He keeps his statement ambiguous and it forces the disciples, each one of them, to examine their own heart. Each disciple had to take an account of their own faithfulness. Each one was capable of betraying Jesus and questioning them ambiguously. Jesus is prodding them to keep on guard. 
Now, while each of the disciples had to examine their own heart, imagine what Judas was going through. Jesus, being fully God, knows what's happening in Judas' heart, and he calls him out on it. He is speaking truth to Judas, and it must have been so difficult for Judas to hear. Can you imagine being called a devil? But I don't see this as condemnation. I don't think Jesus was condemning Judas here. He wasn't trying to embarrass or humiliate Judas by calling him out in front of his peers. I believe this was a warning. Jesus was giving Judas the opportunity to change in his ways. He was giving Judas this opportunity to turn back towards him. He was hoping that this would be a wake-up call for Judas and that it would change the trajectory that he was headed. But Judas does not listen. He does not heed Jesus' warning. And we do, in fact, see that he does betray Jesus. Just as Jesus spoke truth to Judas, we also need people in our lives who will speak truth to us and even rebuke us when we're veering off course. I think many of us, we struggle to speak truth to each other because we're scared. We're scared that either we're, that we're going to hurt somebody's feelings or we're scared that we're going to fracture that relationship. We think that to love someone is to encourage them or to only speak nicely about them. But to love someone is to speak honestly and truthfully, even if those conversations are difficult. By challenging and even rebuking our loved ones when they sin, we are helping them to, helping them to grow as disciples. To love someone isn't to enable them, it's to keep them accountable. We can't be afraid of inviting others to speak truth into our lives, no matter how hard that truth is to hear. If we don't surround ourselves with truth-tellers, the danger is that we will continue down a path that God did not intend for us. We all have blind spots. We all have things that we need to work on, whether it's certain sins that continue to tempt us, character issues, or just areas that we need to grow. But the quicker we bring them to the light, the quicker we can deal with them. I have a lot of truth-tellers in my life, uh, some who I have explicitly asked to, uh, to speak truth to me and give me feedback. Uh, people like some of my soulmates or Esther. But then there are those who are more informal. Right? God uses those people to speak truth to me at just the right moment. And one of those informal truth speakers in my life is my son Weston. All right, Weston does not need any prompting. He will just speak truth to me at any moment. And there was one moment where I was just like relaxing. I was watching TV and all of a sudden Weston comes up to me and says, Dad, you're always yelling. And so I was like a little shocked because, like I said, I was just minding my own business watching TV. I wasn't even yelling at Weston in that moment. I wasn't even near him. But he comes up to me and says, Dad, you're always yelling. And so after the initial shock of what he said, I sat down with him and I just started to talk to him, trying to figure out what he was getting at. And what I discovered as I was talking with him was that I had hurt Weston. And he was feeling sad because he felt like I was always angry with him and I was always yelling at him, especially when he got in trouble. And so it broke my heart. Like a father, it's, it's like as a father, you never want your child to feel that way. And it broke my heart that I was the one who caused him this pain. 
And so I sat with him more and I just talked to him about what he was feeling and my part in that. And I just reminded him, I said, Weston, no matter what you say or do, I will always love you. And I told him, I'll promise I'm going to try not to yell at you as much. But please forgive me when I do. That was a holy moment for me. Without any prompting, Weston was speaking truth to me, and he was right. At that time, I did find myself just having a shorter fuse and getting angry easier. And so I called up my soulmate, one of my soulmates, and I said, hey, I need to talk to you. I think I might have anger issues. And so we talked about it. I wouldn't have been aware of my anger and how I was treating Weston if he didn't call me out on it. He called me out and spoke truth to something that I needed to pay attention to and work on. And for some of you, that may seem weird, right? The fact that he, my son, would call me out and tell me how I was failing. Some of you might even think that's disrespectful, right? A, a child should never speak back to the parent or even call them out for their failures. But for me, I saw it as a form of respect and love because he knows that I could be better. We all have blind spots. We aren't perfect, but, our spiritual, but part of our spiritual maturation as a disciple is getting to a place where we invite others to speak truth into our lives no matter how hurtful that truth is. God wants to refine you and transform you, and he will use others to help you in that process. But to not address sin and weakness in your life is to give the devil a foothold to bring you down. It feels really surreal that um, this is my final message or sermon um, at Metro. Um, this is not my final Sunday. Um, I do actually have one more Sunday, so I'll be here next week. But it's been a long 12 years. I've been at Metro for 12 years. It's really weird for me to say that because it's, you know, outside of my home church, the one I grew up in, this is the church that I've been part of the longest. And so I've been reflecting a lot about my time here. Uh, and the one thing I keep, that keeps coming up is that I'm just so grateful. Right? I am so grateful for this church. I am so grateful that I had these 12 years with you, walking with you. I'm so grateful for, to Pastor Peter, who gave me this opportunity. Um, I talk about it with some people on staff, but it's like when you look at our staff, most of the people who are on staff with us are people who have been going to the church and hired within the church. But there's only a few of us who you know, are outside of the church. Pastor Peter didn't know me, but he took a shot on me. I'm so grateful for so many of you who have just loved on me and my family over the years and who have, you guys have even allowed me to pastor over you. I'm so grateful, especially to my wife, Esther, for just supporting me, not as a pastor's wife. She would hate that. She hates that term, right, with all the expectations that come with it. But I'm just so grateful that she was able to support me as just my wife. Right, so that I could do the things that God is calling me to do as a pastor. I have so much to be grateful for. 
And I've learned so much in my time here at Metro. But I think one of the greatest lessons that I will take away with me is that it's always best to say yes to Jesus. Right? It is always best to say yes to Jesus. When Jesus asks you to do something, regardless of how difficult it may be or how scary it may seem, it's best to obey. You never know how things will turn out. But at least when you say yes to Jesus, you can be sure that everything will turn out okay. I never thought or imagined that I would end up in New Jersey. It's crazy. I mean, I've been here for maybe like 18 years of my life, almost half my life. I was even willing to call New Jersey my home or call myself a New Jerseyan if we had stayed a few more years. Right? And this is the last place I ever wanted to be. But 18 years ago, God said, go. And I went. And I came to this area. And it's been one of the best decisions of my life. Right? I'm so glad I said yes to Jesus. Because it's here where I met my wife, Esther. We have two beautiful, amazing boys, Weston and Wyatt. I've gotten to know so many of you. Some of my lifelong friends are here at this church. I'm so glad that I said yes. I feel like this is a place especially Metro, where God really shaped me and grown me as a pastor. I still remember the first time I met Pastor Peter. I was interviewing for this high school position here at this church. I went to the interview. I had dressed up in a button-down and khakis, and Pastor Peter, Kevin, and Abe, um, there are the three pastors at Metro at the time. They came in their shorts and T-shirts, and I'm like, oh, this is different. <laughs> But that was 12 years ago when Pastor Peter offered me the job to become the high school pastor at the time. Honestly, I didn't know if I was going to take it. Right? There was a church that I was part of that I loved. They were offering me a full-time position. But I so believed in the mission and the vision of this church, and I believed that God was saying to come to Metro. Just come to Metro and I'll take care of everything else. And so I did. And over the years, I've just seen how faithful God has been. I've seen God do such amazing things in and through this church. I've seen the youth group grow from a few students to over 100. I've seen this church take a stand against justice and people growing in their understanding of what it means to be the hands and feet of God. And even for so many of you, I've just seen so much faithfulness in your lives. I've seen how you have lived out what it means to be a disciple. I mean, I can't, even I can't even fathom the amount that we raised to build a community center. Right? All because we believe that God has put us in this place for a reason, to love on this community. I have seen so much of God's faithfulness. And even on a personal level, like I've grown and been shaped as a pastor here. Even as I think about this next chapter in my life, I know that the only reason why I'm ready to lead my own church is because of my time here. 
It's here where I learn to lead out of weakness and vulnerability rather than strength. It's here where I've experienced so much failure and yet even within that failure, God has broken me and shaped me and grown me. And I say all this because I never thought or imagined any of this would be possible. I didn't know saying yes all those years ago would lead to all this. My hope for you, Metro, is that you would say yes to Jesus. You may not know how things will turn out, but you can be sure that God will be faithful. All right, I've experienced my fair share of ups and downs, successes and failures, and regardless of all that, I know that God has been with me step for step. Follow his lead and see where he takes you. I can't promise you that the journey is going to be easy, but what I can say is that following Jesus is always worth it. Jesus is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our affection, and he is worthy of our discipleship. So today, as Jesus asks you, will you follow him? How will you respond? Will you say yes, or will you walk away? One choice leads to life, and the other leads to death. My hope for you today, Metro, is that you would choose to say yes. Will you bow your heads with me? God, this is not necessarily the message that I had hoped to preach on my last sermon. The fact that we're talking about deserting you. We're talking about what it means to be a true disciple of yours. And for all of us, God, we have to count the cost. We didn't become Christians because it was easy. We became Christians and disciples because of what you have done, which was not easy. Jesus, you gave up your life. You sacrificed yourself on the cross so that we could have life. And this whole discipleship thing is all about just responding to that. And so I just pray, Father, I pray for my church, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray, God, that each and every day that we will live by faith and that our choices and decisions would reflect that. I pray that we would grow deeper in love with you. I pray that we would spend time with you, God, and we would cherish those times. God, I pray that we would be like Peter. That if you were ever to ask us, will you leave also? That we would proclaim no, that we will follow you, that you are the Holy One, and that you have words, the words to eternal life. And so God, would you just root us firmly in you? Would you guard our hearts from the things, God, that want to drive us away from you? Would you guard our hearts so that we would remain with you forever?
So if there's anything, God, that we need to get rid of right now, if there's any distraction, if there's any sin, if there's anything, God, that is keeping us from being with you, I just pray that you would remove it, God. I pray, God, for just the boldness and the courage to say that I will sacrifice everything for you because you are worth it. So thank you, God. And I just pray, Father, as we search and examine our own hearts right now, that you would just reveal to us the things, God, that we need to let go of so that we can hold on and cling to you. Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and give us life? Holy Spirit, would you come? Because we know that we can't do it on our own. Holy Spirit, would you come and move and transform us to be more and more like Jesus? God, thank you for what you are doing even in this moment. Pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.